0: Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, for your goodness, for these these little ones that were up here a moment ago, for this chance that we as a community can dedicate them, dedicate us as well, Lord. And now as we open your word today, speak to our hearts. Challenge us, but give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Shelley said it very well and I appreciated her words today. These are the people I love. I want you… we haven't done it in a minute, we didn't do it last week, so I want you to take a minute, look around the room, look at the different people that are here. We have a few visitors today. You haven't done this before. This is when you can look around at the different people that are gathered in this place on this day. And what an amazing group it is. God has given us each other and brought us into this place And so that's why we say together, these are the people I love. I don't know if you're participating in the small group part of this series, but in this spring series, we uh, make up some study guides uh, that you can get together with a small group and study. And I had a really neat thing happen this week. We got uh, a communication from Evelyn in Palm Coast. I don't know if Evelyn is joining us today, but if she is, I hope she is. Evelyn in Palm Coast said… We're using the studies here with a little study group in Palm Coast. So what a neat thing that uh, she communicated with us and shared that some of the things we're doing here is a blessing for them and their community, and I pray that God will bless them uh, and encourage you as well. There's a new study up for next week. Um, You can download that from the website. But we need to get right to the text today. So let's start. Judges chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Okay, several points I want us to note here. First of all, the prelude verse indicates that the disobedience of the people has led to affliction because the people have again turned away from God, who is their protection. And when we turn ourselves away from God, we open ourselves up to a world that will come in and oppress us. So that's the first point. The second point is, despite this, God still desires to bring deliverance, and and as is so often the case, the deliverance that God has in mind begins with a family. Not just a family, but it begins with a family that has faced challenges and disappointment. The text very clearly tells us that they were unable to have children. The angel comes, and he gives very clear instruction to the woman that her son will be a Nazarite from the womb, not from birth. So all the Nazarite rules have to apply to her as well, because he is to be set apart for God from the womb. Now, this Nazirite is an interesting concept. It's from the word Nazir, which means separated or devoted. And we really find the teaching about the Nazirite in Numbers chapter 6. So I want to read you just quickly what this is about. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazirite, They must abstain from wine and other fermented drink. That's familiar in what the instruction was, right? And must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain under their Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or skins." During the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Now this part is actually a little unusual in the story we're talking about because there's actually going to be a lot of dead bodies here. Even if their own father or mother or brother or sister dies, they must not make themselves ceremonially unclean on account of them because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. Throughout the period of their dedication, they are, to, they are consecrated to the Lord. So in a general case, anyone could take a Nazarite vow for a period of time. But with Samson which is the name that Manoah and his wife are going to bestow upon this son of promise, he was to be a special case, a unique case, really, because I don't find any other one like it in the Bible, that he was to be a Nazarite from the womb. More on this in a moment. Now, something interesting to note here. We read uh, Judges 13, verse 5, the last part in the NIV, and it says, He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Another way to translate this, and maybe a little more accurately, from the New American Standard is, He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. There's a couple lessons I want us to pick up here, and that we need to learn whenever we read the Bible. Number one, God seems to have an infinite number of ways to intervene on behalf of His people. And number two, God seems to rarely use the same way twice. So, as you look at your life and you look at the history of how God has intervened in your life, that can be instructive and it should be instructive to your faith, but it will not always be instructive as to how God is going to intervene the next time. So, don't always expect the same intervention. Be open for God to do something new. I think these notions of being open to God doing something new are very key if we are to truly understand the story of Samson and, to, and truly to make peace with it. You see, for one thing, it appears Samson was not the full answer to the Philistine oppression. Instead, he was just the beginning of what God was going to do. His God-appointed task was to begin the deliverance. Don't feel like you failed if you didn't get your appointed task all the way to the finish. Maybe your job was to begin the deliverance. God sets the course. Let's trust Him. But now as we go further into this story, there's another issue that's going to come up. Because today, I want to challenge your thinking a little bit and possibly tempt you, at least temporarily, tempt you out of the 21st century Christian moral narrowness that I believe we all too often bring to Old Testament stories. It's a narrowness that causes us to hold the characters in the story, and by extension, God as well to our culturally conceived notions of what God can do and what God can't do and who is obeying God and who isn't obeying God and let me just make a comment that is an aside here every culture establishes its own version of morality and every culture once it establishes its version of morality, considers every other morality to be wrong. It is not static. It changes over time. There is no hubris greater than the hubris of assuming that the morality that I perceive in my cultural context is the morality that's greater than all others. Now there are differences and there are things about moralities that are that are superior to others but let's be careful when we read Old Testament stories that we're not reading our own mentality back into the story. I intend to use scripture alone alone as my means to unsettle you. But if you will allow me to ruffle your feathers today, or if you prefer, if you will allow your fur to be petted backwards, (laughs) you might just find some hope at the end of all of this. Back to the story. For you see, I don't so much want to focus on the life of Samson, but rather upon the story of Samson's parents, which is perfect for Baby Dedication Day, right? to focus on the story of Samson's parents and maybe even more poignantly Samson's mother interesting thing about Samson's mother we don't know her name we didn't know David's mother's name either but we don't know Samson's mother's name yet it is to her that the angel comes not Manoah and she is the one given the bulk of the burden when it comes to how Samson is supposed to be raised Judges 13, verse 6. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb... And then she adds something here that is not specifically recorded by the angel, but I believe it's what he told her. From the womb until the day of his death. Samson was to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb until the day of his death, meaning that God had a purpose for his entire life. And that God intended to use Samson his entire life even if he had to do so in spite of Samson's intentions and choices. Wait a minute, can God do that? Don't I have to agree? Judges 13 verse 8, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I love Manoah's respect towards God. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. It's interesting. The angel comes to the woman again when she is alone and then waits while she goes to get Manoah. Have you ever wondered this? Why does God do things that don't seem convenient to us? I mean, did the angel mess up? Oh, I thought he'd be here this time, sorry. No, I'm thinking he knew. Why can't God work more smoothly with our prearranged schedules? Why won't God play by our rules? And this last question really is the point and stands as the primary basis, I believe, why we just don't know what to do with Samson. But don't feel bad, neither did his parents. Verse 10, the woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, I love his faith. Don't you love his faith? When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? Awesome question. And I hope all of you parents who are dedicating children today heard that question. What is the rule that governs the boy's life and work? This is a question we should all be asking of God for our own children. And full disclosure here, this is a point that my wife has understood long before I have. You ever notice how unusual it is that God seems to sometimes come to the women before the men? At least Manoah gets credit for believing her. Remember the resurrection? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't buy it. verse 13 the angel of the Lord answered your wife must do all that I have told her she must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine nor drink any wine or other fermented drink nor eat anything unclean she must do everything I have commanded her alright being a father is tough being a mother is a whole nother level there was an old prayer an old rabbinical prayer. They said, I thank God I was not born a woman or a Gentile, but, but I think they got it wrong. I thank God I was not born a woman because I don't think I could handle it, I think is probably more accurate in my case. Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. Again, his faith. He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. That would be kind of a weird conversation, wouldn't it? This answer that the angel of the Lord gives is actually kind of a play on words. It can mean beyond understanding or it can mean wonderful. In truth, it means both. Why do you ask my name? It's too wonderful for you. Now, let me give you my understanding of when we encounter the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, okay? I can't guarantee you this is right, but let me tell you my understanding here. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Serving before He came and was born, but serving the Father as the angel of the Lord, coming and delivering messages. There's an interesting tie-in here. At the second coming, Revelation describes Jesus... Who has a name written on him, what? That nobody knows. Because it's too wonderful. Because it's beyond understanding. And in this answer regarding the name of the angel of the Lord, I believe we get the key to understanding Samson's life. Though what we get is simply the revelation that some things we're not going to be able to understand. Do you remember that text? The secret things belong to the Lord. Judges 13, verse 19. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. I'll bet that was Amazing. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. That's such a guy response to being terrified, isn't it? But no worries. Manoah's wife is there to calm him with reason. Take that, all you, who you, all you who think women are always emotional and irrational. You can always direct to this story. Verse 23, but his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. I'm glad she kept her head in that moment. And then this is really the bulk of what we hear about Samson's parents. They're going to begin to fade quickly from the story, but not before suffering what was for them a very distressing moment. But first, the fulfillment text. Judges 13, verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtiol. So here's the things we know for sure from this fulfillment. The angel of the Lord told Manoah's wife and Manoah that they would have a son who would be dedicated in a special way to God from womb to grave. Then we know that a son was indeed born and from the text that he grew and was blessed by the Lord. Okay, so now I want to do a little relational hub diagram here for you like we've done. This one isn't going to be so long, but, but just so we've got Manoah and Manoah's wife. And then the angel comes and makes the promise, and then comes Samson. And they've been given a lot of instructions and a lot of things that they're supposed to do and understand But a problem is going to occur here because it turns out, and this is true in every case, we haven't diagrammed it before, but it turns out that Manoah and his wife are not the only influences in Samson's life, are they? Because God is there. Sometimes in our plan for our reality or in our plan for what will be the reality of our children, we forget that there is another who is connected to our children's relational hub. One whose name is both wonderful and beyond understanding. Someone is connected to our children that causes stirrings in them. And now my guess is you're not going to love what happens next in our story. And we'll likely be inclined to ascribe what happens next to a stirring, all right, but not a stirring from the Lord. I can tell you for sure that Samson's parents didn't love this next part of the story. So here we go. Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, I can just imagine the conversation between Manoah and his wife after this. Where did we go wrong? Why is our beloved boy, who was supposed to be devoted to God his whole life, going down roads he shouldn't be going and doing things he shouldn't be doing? And as we sit at the safe distance from this story that time and space allows us, we likely begin to indulge thoughts such as, well... They must not have been very good parents if their child turned out like that. Not that we ever do that to each other, right? But upon what would we base the notion that Manoah and his wife were unfit parents? Do you really think that they were less conscientious and intentional than most of the other parents in Israel in their day? Do you think that? Well, we don't have a definitive biblical statement on this, but if you would allow me, I would suggest the context of what we do know about Samson's parents suggests that they were far from negligent and likely stellar in their efforts to raise Samson. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, they were likely older. You don't find out you're barren until you've been married a long time and nothing is happening. So they were likely older. They were likely righteous. Because why would the angel of the Lord come to someone who wasn't going to follow his instructions? And they were likely faithful. For as best we can tell, Samson's mother raised him exactly like the angel told her to. So it has seemed to me the most likely assumption is not that Samson's parents messed up, but rather the more likely assumption is that they did everything right. So how is it that Samson turned out so wrong? Or maybe that's the flaw in our thinking, that Samson turned out wrong. What if he turned out exactly how God wanted him to turn out? And if that doesn't offend your 21st century sense of morality, you're not paying very close attention. How could I suggest such a thing? Well, let's, let's back up. Let's back up a second. Let's try this out. Let's back up to the last two verses of chapter 13. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahana Dan between Zorah and Eshtayal. Now let me ask you, does this description sound like the description of a child who started going wrong early and just kept going wrong? Or does the text not specifically say that the Lord blessed him and that the Spirit of the Lord was at work in him and stirred him? Sounds to me that we might expect what comes next in this story would be the direct result of the blessing of the Lord and the stirring of the Lord. But you remember what comes next, right? 14 verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, she is the right one for me. And now here comes the verse you probably don't want to hear. Verse 4. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So let's just take a moment here and completely set aside all of our preconceived notions and just simply read the text. Based on the text alone, why did Samson go down the road to Timnah and fall for a Philistine woman? not based on our assumptions, based on the text. The answer we want to give is because he was careless and reckless and went where he shouldn't have gone and then paid the price for his indiscretion. But is that what the Bible says? Sadly, at least for our tidy tendency to moralize what we cannot understand, the answer is a very clear no. It wasn't because Samson was undisciplined that he went down the road to Timnah. He went down the road to Timnah because the Spirit of the Lord, the very same Spirit of the Lord that had been stirring in him from an early age, the Spirit of the Lord sent him down the road to Timnah. Why? because the Lord wanted to stir up trouble between Israel and the Philistines. Now I'm going to give you a moment there to catch your breath. Let me know when you're ready to move on. Just give me a little sign. Samson's parents had such high aspirations for their son. Be deeply spiritual. Find a lovely Israelite woman to marry. Start a beautiful family in the Zora area. Become a gifted leader in the tribe of Dan and maybe even in Israel. Work peacefully, productively, and predictably towards a better future for all. They had such high hopes. And Samson's parents' plan for his life sounds great, right? Who wouldn't want their kids to live that life? There was just one problem, though. Their plan for Samson's life wasn't God's plan for Samson's life. And guess whose plan won? If you take this particular Bible story at face value and don't import into it all our enlightened moral judgments, you will come to a rather stark conclusion. God created and set aside Samson to be a man of war. To bring judgment upon the Philistines for what they had done to Israel. It wasn't what his parents had in mind. But then it wasn't up to them. In fact, it doesn't really seem to have been up to Samson either or at least not up to him in the grand scheme. Now, this is not to suggest Samson didn't have to make decisions as he traveled down the road God appointed for his life. He did, and in fact, he made some bad ones. I'm not suggesting Samson had no say in what he decided as he traveled his road, but I am saying he didn't get to pick the road he traveled. That was God's choice. And might I be so bold as to suggest the same is true for all of us as well? And also, the same is true for our children. What I'm suggesting is this there are many choices we make as we travel our road of life. And the choices we make matter, and they make a real difference. But what if we don't choose the road? What if the road is God's prerogative? I want to suggest to you this is demonstrably true in a number of ways. How many of you chose your parents? Not seeing a lot of hands. How many of you chose how tall you would be? How many of you chose your eye color? Well, maybe you can put contacts on there to fake it, but… How many of you chose your race or your nationality? or the relative socioeconomic or sociopolitical reality into which you were born. How many chose it? There are many things in our lives that we have chosen, sometimes wisely, sometimes foolishly, but there are also many things in which we have zero say. So here's the problem with this. Are we willing to assign those things to the Lord? Does he make those choices for us? I suppose it's either that or chance, right? Which of those two are you more comfortable with? So here's the thing. I'm going to leave you with that unsettling question. I'm not going to try to answer it because truthfully, I'm not fully clear about it either. But that's okay because even though I'm not fully clear on this, I am clear on one thing. What I must do whenever I face uncertainty in my life. Here's what I'm clear on. And in the context of stories like the story of Samson, this is perhaps the only thing I'm clear on. Here it is. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And what's He's going to do? He will make your paths straight. So let's close this with a couple points. Sometimes the road your life takes will not make sense or will not look like the road you want to take. Here's what you do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. You will never find peace in God's purpose for your life if you will not trust Him to lead you down the road He has chosen for your life. And just know that sometimes your road is going to be difficult. It's like God said to Ananias when he sent him to pray for Saul after Saul was blinded on the road to Damascus. Do you remember this? Do you remember these words? Acts 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Your road may very well include intense suffering. But it is the road the Lord has chosen for you and it is the means by which you will bring glory to God. So, go boldly down your road. But just one more point before we close. Sometimes, our children's lives will not make sense to us or will not look like the road we wanted them to take. will feel like Manoah and his wife. When that happens, here's what I want you to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Here's what I want to guarantee you. Samson's parents would never have chosen for their son the road God set him apart to go down. Who would pick that for their child? And who knows if they ever truly found peace. But whether they did or not, their joy will be made full in glory when at the resurrection they learn that their wild man of a son found his way. On to the list of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11. So here's a word to the parents dedicating children today. Number one, ask God how He wants these children raised. Number two, allow God to send them down the road He has chosen for their life. And number three, trust God that He is leading them even if the road doesn't look right to you. Keep trusting and praying that the God who loves them even more than you do is still working in their lives. Now a word to parents whose children are already already grown. It's pretty obvious, right? You know what I'm going to say here? Think about your kids and think about the roads and think about how some of those roads are not the roads you would have chosen. Trust God and keep praying. Even if the road your kids are on makes zero sense to you, trust God, keep praying, And never forget there is another link in your child's relational hub. One you have no control over. So here we go. Here's you, right? And here's your spouse. But this one isn't about you because then there's your child. But somebody else is linked to your child, right? Not everything about their life is your credit or your blame because someone else is involved. Can you trust the Lord? Samson's parents were pretty sure he was on the wrong road. But if you take the Bible at face value, he was on the exact road that God sent him down. Did he make all his decisions well? No, clearly not. But then, neither did David, right? Can we trust the Lord even when we don't understand? Each of us lives in a relational hub. Our lives touch many people around us. And we have influence in their lives. Our desire is that it would always be good. And we always desire well for the people we love, right? But never forget, there is another who stirs in the lives of our children in ways we may never understand. Do we trust the Lord enough to trust Him with the people we love? Let's pray. Father in heaven, sometimes Your Word challenges us and we don't know the right answers because our notions of right and wrong and good and evil don't seem to align perfectly. And sometimes even the things you seem to counsel in one place goes another way in another. And we find ourselves confused. But Lord, I believe You've given us the answer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding may we in all our ways acknowledge You and trust that You will make our paths and the paths of the people we love straight. In Jesus' name, amen.